Hey, hey, hey! Welcome back to RM Podcast FL. Hope everybody's having a tremendous day so far and hope everybody's having a great day. I know it's getting a little bit cold out there, so I hope you guys are staying warm in this cold temperatures. Now, today's episode is with Dan Oplinger. He is a hostage negotiator. But before we get to the juicy stuff, I just want to thank you guys for tuning in. And do not forget to go ahead and give us a five-star rating as well as a short comment. What we'll be doing, you guys, is that every month we will be giving away a gift card or special merch. So if you do want to tag along your Twitter or Instagram username to the comment, we will choose the lucky winner and we will go ahead and contact you directly. So this way we can either mail you the merch or we can uh, do a transaction. So please go ahead and do so. Take a moment and share your favorite episode as always with your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, with whoever you like to do so. So today's episode, like I mentioned, is with Dan Oplinger. He is a hostage negotiator. And if you guys want to learn the key of listening, how to understand people, and how to negotiate in a high intense situations, this episode is for you. So if you ever wanted to ask a hostage negotiator the question of where is my money and my helicopter, I do ask that to Dan as well. So I'm very excited about this one. He is the author of the 28 Laws of Listening book, as well as Life or Death Listening. Two books, they are very amazing, very educational, so I would highly recommend it to you guys. And I'll go ahead and attach the link below as well. And also, don't forget, guys, if you live in Jacksonville, Florida area, I am having a public speaking event under New York Life Insurance on December 19th. Uh, Go ahead and tag along at the website www.rmpodcastfl.com for the details of the event as well. So, Dan, where's my money in my helicopter? If I gave you a helicopter, what would you do with it? And to find out why he answered like that, guys, go ahead and listen to the full episode. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to RM Podcast FL and investing your time towards this episode. Just like I mentioned on the bio, today's interview is with Dan Oblinger. He is a hostage negotiator with over 17 years of experience. He is a consultant, an author, and a keynote speaker. I am super excited regarding this interview. So, Dan, welcome to RM Podcast FL. Hey, Romina. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm very excited about this one. I know we connected a while back, while back through LinkedIn, and finally we're bringing this interview to life. <laughs> Making it real. Love it. <laughs> Awesome. So uh, before we do get started, I want to pass on the mic to you if you can tell the audience a little bit about you and how did you fall into the career that you are in right now? Well, that is, of course, a really powerful question for people. Like that's the origin story of how you got to where you're at. I uh, got into law enforcement as a young uh, person and I had a wonderful career. And as things often happen, when you're just doing the right thing and working hard and not trying to plan your whole life out, sometimes these wonderful opportunities appear. I had an incident early in my law enforcement career that led me to have an interest in crisis negotiations and mental health and uh, being a hostage negotiator. So that led me to prepare for a competitive process and I became a hostage negotiator about 10 years ago now. And I've been on that team and working at that craft diligently ever since. And I've also begun to translate those experiences and that knowledge base and those skill sets for a corporate audience. And that's how we connected through LinkedIn. Correct. And LinkedIn, honestly, it's such a great platform. It's kind of sad that not everybody takes advantage of it, but it is a really great platform because you get to connect with professionals just like yourself too. It's like real life, but in one really important way, way better. And that is it, like in real life, the, what you put in is what you get out um, plus. And the plus I think for LinkedIn is I can reach somebody like you all the way across the, you know, the country. I can reach other, I have other friends now all over the world that we get to share our knowledge and our skills and also just our lives, our professional lives and a little bit of personal life too. I think we keep it pretty, uh, pretty professional. But it's cool to meet people that you never would have met in real life because of challenges with the distance and culture and time. 
And LinkedIn's just a wonderful platform for that if you'll make it real. That is very true. Now, um, I do want to focus a little bit. I'm Albanian born and raised. And when I grew mm-hmm. up, I grew up in an environment that it was through the wartime. And unfortunately, like kidnappings were happening back home. And oh, yeah. events of, you know, not so, uh, not so positive. Um, so I'm always kind of careful of my surrounding and everything. But if you can kind of break it down to us, since you, you deal with crisis moments, um, like on the negotiation, hostage negotiation moment. What did you say are some tips that we can prevent ourselves from being in that position if we can even prevent it? Yeah, you know, the number one thing, and you and I talked about this a while back, and I think it's just great to bring to your listeners. The number one thing that you should have all the time is situational awareness. And I'll talk about safety first, but there's another really good reason just to always be aware of your surroundings and what's going on around you. For, I would say, one one of the experiences and um, jobs I've had in law enforcement has been surveillance. So I follow people around who we think are committing crimes, especially complex conspiracies, and we document what they're doing and who they're meeting and where they're going, and we build a criminal case against them, mm-hmm. which sounds really cool. It's actually really boring, <laughs> but also exciting for moments. Um, one thing you notice is I'm, you know, you're moving through, like I'm moving through my city following the, the quote unquote, the bad people. They're not bad, but you know, it's like cops and robbers kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And I'm, but mostly I'm, I'm in and around and watching a lot of citizens too, just regular people going about their daily lives and they're either interacting with, or they're in close proximity to these people that we're, we have under surveillance. And so I get to observe human behavior a lot. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting to me is more and more over my career as I'm doing this, you know, job and watching people more and more, there's just a total lack of awareness of of their situation and who's around them and what they're doing. Because I'll I'll be, you know, right next to them and they just don't know I'm there because um, they're, I'll just tell you more and more, they're on their phone. They're constantly on their phone. And, you know, we have a, somebody doing a, a deal right next to them. And then there's, there's five or six officers, undercover officers in that same parking lot. And if you were aware of your situation and your surroundings, you would see all this. Um, we, we see so much when we're on these operations because, and I think this is the key, is we're intentional about being aware. And, and we, we realize we're, we're documenting activity that has to be observed and then memorialized. And so it's just a mindset shift. It's not like we have any kind of really special skill set that nobody else could ever develop. But it's incredible to me how we have these different zones of, of proximity. So we have that intimate space that maybe we would let like one or two people in our life into. We have that really private space that only people we really know can be inside of, like, you know, within a few feet of us. We have the public space and that's, you know, in general, like the distance you would interact with people if you're at the grocery store. But people, there are, what's the problem is sometimes their awareness only extends to the intimate uh, surroundings. So I could be within a few feet of you with evil intentions. And if you are not looking for me, you won't see me. And I think that's, uh, that's obviously an issue for safety. If I'm a kidnapper or if I'm a mugger, a robber, like you should see me coming. And what I know about these kinds of folks is when they see a potential victim, but they're situationally aware, they move on to the next victim. Because what they want to do is get as close as possible to be able to carry out their plan without anyone seeing and then reacting and, and, and changing the, the situation for them. So there's a clear safety benefit to being aware of your surroundings. But can I, I'm going to switch gears. Is that okay? And talk about another big benefit of, of doing the same activity, being aware. Yeah, absolutely. So the three activities that I'm interested in as a corporate consultant, because of my experiences in law enforcement and crisis negotiations, are listening and negotiating and leadership. And all three of them benefit from awareness and mindset. And specifically, much like safety, you can be much, a much better listener and a much better negotiator and a better leader when you recognize critical opportunities to listen and negotiate and lead. And if you're not aware of what's going on around you and other people, uh, you'll miss them, right? And they're all three activities that really are, should be ongoing. Like you should be constantly looking for opportunities to in, uh, invite other people's stories and make a deep connection with them, and that's listening. You should be constantly looking for ways to add value to agreements and insist that people um, 
give you reasons why they might not give you full value and also looking for ways to persuade them to give you more value. And that's negotiating. And you should always be looking for ways to improve process and principles and people around you. And that's leadership. But it's helpful if you can recognize a really critical opportunity so that you can engage your, like your full intellect, like you be, be present in that moment and use every skill you have to accomplish the most good. But when you are inwardly focused, you're on your phone, you're thinking about yourself, you maybe see two feet away from you. You're never going to see these opportunities on your horizon, on your personal and professional horizon. And I've learned again through surveillance, but also through just being a good negotiator and, and being a leader in law enforcement, I've learned to start getting your eyes up on the horizon and seeing these amazing opportunities for you to use your skills. And they almost always come in the form of another human being with a story. So, um, all I, I, first off, I have to say, I love all those advices because that is, <laughs> that is so true. Cause that's what I do too, though. Like, like I said, I grew up not in a very, you know, great environment right. at that time. So mm-hmm. I'm very cautious of my surrounding, you know, I'll never put your back at the door when you're sitting at the restaurant, always look right. around, you know, if something is weird, get off your stuff and leave or even take, unfortunately, like I had to run a situation one time that I even took a picture of the guy cause he was acting really weird with the book bag yeah. and sent it to my brother and I left. But like people tend, because they're on the phones, they tend to not pay attention to the surrounding. Those are great. And that's like super good tactics, right? So I kind of gave you a little bit of strategy just now. And you're, now you're going into like just best practices. Yeah, you should always kind of be able to observe as many entrances to the room as possible. One, for safety, you see bad things coming. But also uh, for opportunities, you see good things coming, right? People you want to interact with, people you know, like acquaintances or something like that. So it's just always good to orient yourself towards the next opportunity because it's an opportunity for danger, but it's also an opportunity for growth. So how, how would you say body language relates to the negotiations and how you want to attack a situation? Because think, that's, that's one thing we cannot lie, it's our body language. Yeah, and, and you know, there's uh, body language is a whole nother realm. Like it's a whole nother, I would say, sub-skill. Like, and, and it impacts like the three activities I'm interested in. It definitely impacts like safety because people's behaviors will, will often tip the hand as far as what their intention is. Um, one thing I think that does get lost because there's lots of people now getting involved in like body reading, right? Mm-hmm. Micro gestures, micro expressions. And it's fascinating to me and I do study it a little bit. I've been practicing it, um, not so much as an academic, but as a practitioner. There's no way that you don't um, develop some insights and I would, I would say some skill in that if you've, you know, two decades of law enforcement, like it's a, it's a survival skill, probably like yourself growing up, like you had to be able to read people because there are, there were evil actors, right? There were people that would do evil. So you have to kind of know them and know what they're about. One thing that I think it's lost though, is it's very individualized. There are some general uh, and very good. And I think there's good science behind uh, indicators of aggression because there's this, there's an autonomic response. Like as people begin to become aggressive and they're overcoming a natural prohibition to do violence to another human being, there's usually some, some commonalities there. But as far as like deception and um, maybe con- concealment of intention, like that can be very individualized for the person. So it's the more you know them and the more you know how they ought to act normally, you know, when emotions aren't strong, then the more you'll be able to interpret their behavior and I would say with a higher degree of fidelity, that's kind of what I'm seeing as I've studied it. Um, so like criminal interviews are different than like tactical encounters on the street for cops would be a great example of that. So, but I think body language is, it's critical. We send lots of messages with our body that we don't send with our voice. So if you are stuck in a situation that um, you might either, you're dealing with a bully. That can be somebody at work, mm-hmm. that can be somebody at school or somebody or, or with a kidnapper, you know, like how do you negotiate with them to get out safe or calm the waters? Well, you know, bullying is a, it's a big deal. That's a really common problem for kids. And what I'm learning now, it's a really common problem for adults. And it's a really common problem for adults in the workplace which I think growing up, I would not have thought that, but it's definitely true. And I just think you have to understand the, the basic 
the basic makeup of a bully, and that is they have a fear. They they fear a loss of control. They want control in their life, um, and they know that there's lots of people they can't get it from, and so they seek out the people that they can. So understanding that that they're a major driver of that is a fear of loss of control, and uh, that they they tend to select their victims. If I'm going to interact with somebody that I think is engaging in behavior that is uh, like a bully, mm-hmm. I'm going to let them know that I'm not an easy victim. I'm going to be really confident, and I'm going to use active listening. And that is, you know, if they make a demand, I'm not going to say yes, and I'm not going to say no. I'm going to inquire about their interest in making the demand. And a lot of it's going to, you know, it could be as simple as saying, what happened? And that might be out of context. But what do you mean? I'm like, well, what happened to bring us to this that you think you need to get this from me? Because there's a story like, okay, so you asked me my origin story. All these bullies have an origin story. And if you want to have a lot of confidence and you want to kind of turn the tables, ask them about their story. How did it come to be that you, you need to get this from me and you're acting so aggressive? You know, you can tell them, I'm confused. You know, there's other ways that I can help you. I'm not sure why you have to make this um, unreasonable demand. I think that's a really powerful technique is just to ask questions of people and it can be bullies or anybody else, but I think it's really, really um, effective with people that are trying to obtain things from you through aggression is just to simply ask really powerful questions. It demonstrates uh, an incredible amount of confidence. And so you're no longer in their eyes, you don't look like an easy victim. So, but you're also kind of giving them the spotlight to be listened to, which sure back to the listening and sure. And, yeah. Important. Yeah. And I think that some people might kind of recoil at that. They're like, well, we don't want to give the bully the attention. I'm like, why not? Why not? What's our goal? Like, what's our mission? You know, our mission is I'm not going to be victimized. Okay, cool. We're not doing that, by the way, because I didn't say, oh, here you are and then ask questions. No, no, no. In order to get what you want, I'm going to insist that you treat me like um, like an adult. <laughs> I'm going to insist that you treat me like uh, an equal and dignity person. And also, I'm going to treat you with equal dignity because although you're engaging in behavior that I do not like and it's not socially acceptable, um, doesn't mean that I have to make this a confrontation. And we don't have to argue because, you know, I don't want to. Uh, I'd rather have a dialogue and figure out what's really going on. And, you know, some of, some of the people that I get along with the best in my professional life, we didn't start out with the best encounter or the first, you know, that first meeting didn't go well. But if you're willing to meet people where they're at and, and inquire like that, you might be surprised to find they're not really a bully. They're somebody that's really afraid of not being in control. And I can still do business with those people over time if they can change some of their habits. So I like to leave that door open. Um, that being said, if it gets too violent and too aggressive, you should leave. If somebody's not going to respect you, um, maybe, it's, maybe it's better to find a, a different time to have a dialogue. But uh, if I get the chance, I like to ask questions. And I like to address emotions, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. Which also kind of your answer kind of relate to your book, The 28 Laws of Listening. Um, and one of those, um, it just reminded me, in one of those you wrote about talk, uh, listening um, cures loneliness. Yeah. So you giving bullies the spotlight, you're giving this person that wants to gain power through, you know, um, being mean or being aggressive. You're giving them the spotlight. You're actually maybe maybe sol- solving a loneliness in them because nobody listened to them before. I think that making connections with other people opens up so many opportunities to. I, I always like to use this phrase to do business with them, and what I don't mean necessarily a transactional exchange where I'm going to provide a good or service and they're going to pay me money. When I say do business with them, it's more coming from my public sector background. It's like we can make peace together. We can solve a problem together we can discover something new about ourselves together. We can open up like a new realm of, of knowledge about some aspect of our environment together. Now we might also do a transaction, but when I say do, like work together and collaborate, when we meet people where they're at and make a deep connection with them through listening, all these like totally unpredicted and really beautiful and surprising opportunities begin to open up. That's what I've found in, in a couple of decades of trying it. That is very true, though, because I've ran just through this podcast alone. I've ran through so many amazing people to just yeah, you like have. having that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, now, I want to focus a little bit on emotions because we as humans are emotionally complicated, I would say, sometimes. Yeah. Um, can we keep emotions out of a negotiation or a convert, uh-huh. like, a, um, like a critical conversation? If we can, how can we do that? 
Yeah, you know what? I think that is a common goal. And I don't know how well thought out it is, but I, I continually work with clients and they're like, well, you know, how can we like re- reduce or remove emotions from the equation? And I kind of chuckle mm-hmm. because I get where they're coming from and they're not wrong. Like I understand that mentality and I sometimes slip into it myself with my kids. I got five beautiful kids and sometimes I'm like, I wish you could just calm down and tell me what's going on. I wish you could just calm down and then we can solve this problem together. And uh, what I've learned to do and the proper way to, to really think about it is they are communicating. Like emotions are communication. Human emotions, in fact, are probably the most complex and like uh, informative ways of communicating that another human being will ever offer you because it says so much about where they are and kind of what they want. And it also opens up this incredible opportunity to be a leader. Because if you can help somebody manage their own emotions in a way that's really respectful, um, those are the kinds of connections you make with human beings that last a lifetime. It's not even really possible through an intellectual connection or an informational exchange. I think it's only possible through an emotional encounter. So I would say it is not possible to remove emotions from negotiations because negotiations are an emotional experience. We want something and we know there's a risk we won't get it. Uh, We're being told maybe by a boss or someone else that we have to go obtain something or do a transaction and there are expectations that we succeed and there's always a risk that we fail. So that's an emotional pressure cooker in many ways, no matter what the stakes are, but especially when the stakes are high. Um, And so my answer would be, uh, I don't think it's possible. And then secondly, you wouldn't even want to, because again, they represent the best opportunity to make a deep connection so you can do business with people. So I would say instead, learn how to encounter people where they're at, directly address their emotional state in a really, again, a respectful way, and help people manage their emotions and also develop strategies so you can keep yours uh, in a good place. And that's probably a better way to go. Would you say you would do the same thing even though if that would be like a very emotionally overwhelmed? Because you run into situations where you cannot say like, let's take a break and catch up and reschedule. Um, yeah, yeah, I think well, that's a great question. Um, and that's where there's, there's kind of this distinction between, you know, you can just call it business negotiations. Um, you might say legal negotiations and then um, crisis negotiations, which is what, that's where I've come out of. Like that's, that's how I was brought into this, this realm, this world of negotiations was through crisis or police negotiations. And now I've, I'm getting tons of experience on the business side and a lot of insight there. And I think that one advantage that police negotiators have transitioning to business world as opposed to maybe vice versa is we come from an environment where we don't get to take breaks. We don't get to just walk away in most cases. We can't just be like, well, it's too intense. I don't like this person. We're leaving. We don't get to pick our clients. And we also do, we don't get to decide when we quit. Now, sometimes our commanders say, okay, we're done here. But the negotiations team never, ever walks away. Sometimes we are dragged kicking and screaming from an incident when there's no legal uh, basis for us to be there. So we learn a lot of uh, high fidelity strategies to deal with people that might be reticent to work with us or talk to us or share their story. And I think we've already talked about one of them. That is you have to address the emotions. Like they may shut down intellectually, but they still have all these, these complex feelings and you can begin a, sometimes we can begin a dialogue about that. Sometimes it's, you seem frustrated. I am what's got you frustrated tonight? I don't know, right? They're so frustrated and overwhelmed. They can't really articulate it. And so we do give time, but we stay on the phone with them. And we might ask another question or we'll just sit there and say, Hey, I'm going to sit here with you and give you some time and some respect and some, some distance a little bit to think about this. I'm going to be on the phone though. So when you're ready to talk, just let me know. Um, There's a lot of patience in being a good negotiator and understanding that timing is everything. And that's what a lot of people, especially working sales for quite some time, that's what I feel like a lot of people don't, don't have that patience because they want things to happen so fast and sometimes they get frustrated. One of our techniques that we use, and you've read the book, it's in the book, is uh, an effective pause. And what's, what's amazing is uh, if it's the right context and I don't say anything for two minutes intentionally, I probably could have asked, I don't know, 30 or 40 questions in two minutes, rapid fire, right? Mm -hmm. 
which is going to make a deeper connection with a person who's struggling to find words for how they're feeling. It's the silence. And by the way, sometimes I'll do that in sales too, because you know, I'm a small business owner, right? Um, I've just learned that we, we sometimes get in a rush and we don't have initial and total success. And so we try to move on to the next prospect. I'm like, what if you spent two more minutes with that prospect, slowing everything down and trying to discover where they're at uh, in perspective to what maybe you're offering? What if you just asked a couple questions and then gave them tons of silence and just some, some space to reflect? Well, that's a deep connection. And again, that's who people do business with is people that take the time to make that connection with them. So I just, man, I just am more and more convinced that slowing it down, giving people some time to think, giving some people the time to appreciate uh, how much space and respect you're giving them to come up with the, the best answer. I tell new negotiators we're training, I'm like, don't have the, don't have the fastest answer. Have the right answer. You know, don't, don't have the fastest question. Have the right question. And in fact, you'll find in many cases, you don't really have to say much at all. People just need a little time to trust you. And then they'll tell you exactly what they're thinking. That, that is so powerful. And that is so true, though, everything that you just said right there. Um, something else. So listening is very, very crucial. Um, another thing that I want to touch on another topic is how to use effectively. How do you effectively use listening skills to engage more or to disengage? Because sometimes mm. disengaging, that's the hard part on a conversation, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, one of the techniques is summarizing. One of the eight active listening techniques that hostess negotiators love and we trust is summarizing. And so I might say, Romina, it sounds like you're really interested in, in making relationships, professional relationships with a diverse audience and also a, a diverse uh, set of guests because you think that powerful dialogue can really improve people and make, make them better. And that's where you find joy. Am I right? Correct. Yes, sir. Hey, man, that's great. And I'm, man, I'm glad I learned that about you today. Hey, I've got to go. Um, could we talk again about this soon? Oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, I just interrupted you and said I got to leave. And I will, I will say in my experience, professionally and personally, when you do it in that fashion, uh, you just interrupted another human being, which is horribly rude, and you just left them, which again is rude. But when you do it with the, the, the last thing that's spoken is the kind of their words and ideas summarized and an agreement to do it again, um, it's not rude, actually. It's really powerful. And you, you preserve any kind of connection you made with that person. Any kind of, we call it rapport in my business. Any kind of relationship you have, you get to seal it up and save it for later. That's a really great technique because you pretty much just summarize what the other person is trying to get across. Yeah. And, and it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I listen yeah. to you and I understand you, but let's catch up later. That's such a, that is such a great method. Yep. And it's, it's free for everybody out there who's listening. You can try it anytime. And I think you'll find you are smarter than me so you can pull it off. <laughs> Um, so how about if you have to deal with, for example, I'm into project management and mm -hmm. I know project management is very crucial on the deadlines and meeting the tasks and everything. Yeah. What, what if you're running into risks that prevent you from meeting the deadline, but you have the sponsor of the, you know, of the project is very stubborn and wants to meet the deadline, how you can negotiate like situations like that in a professional environment. Yeah, so this is what's interesting is um, I think a powerful thing that many of my students um, or attendees, so people that are my keynote, people that come to my workshop experiences, a lot of them come up to me either on a break or whatever and they have a revelation like, hey, this is, you're saying that active listening and then the kind of negotiating that I advocate, right? See, seeking value, but insisting that other people present to you their case, right? Asking great questions. They're like, this, this is not, this has nothing to do with authority. And I'm like, that's right. They're like, so you could actually, like, you could use this with your boss. I was like, yes, you could listen to your boss and make a deep connection with your, your, your direct supervisor. You could, and that then opens this possibility of negotiating greater value in all the agreements you have with your boss. And they're like, oh, my mind blown. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. How many of us go up to our boss genuinely and say, hey, boss, how are you? You don't seem yourself today. What's going on? Right? Not how many of us, of us. 
not a lot of us, right? And, and sometimes people go, oh, you're sucking up. I'm like, no, like it's, a, it is, it's prefaced. It is a genuine question. I really want to know. And I'm, I'm telling them, hey, I sense that you're not okay. So don't tell me you're okay. Like it takes, it takes a, it would take a lot of deception to say, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. When you've already said, hey, I suspect that you're not fine. And I'm, I'm concerned about you. I care about you. How many of us come up and ask the boss, say, hey, what's the next big thing? Like, what's on your mind? What can I take off your plate? These are powerful open-ended questions. And uh, a lot of us expect the communication to flow down from our boss. They simply, it's a transaction. They tell us what to do. We go do it or we don't. I think that we all ought to be having better conversations with our boss, our, our manager, our direct supervisor. And again, it's better for the work culture. You're more likely to have an open ear when you need to bring them something that's really powerful, that's really disturbing to you in the work culture. Um, but I think a really basic premise of active listening is let the other person go first. Like create reciprocity in the respectful relationship of listening. And so, yeah, it definitely works with bosses. So if you need to go negotiate a new deadline, then hopefully you've already laid the groundwork for that by having a great conversational relationship with them. And then when you go, you ask great questions instead of saying, I need this. I want this. This won't work. You go and say, hey, I've been thinking about the project. I'm looking at this deadline. What are we thinking about that? Uh, how, did we, how did we arrive at that deadline? Like what all was, what went into deciding this is the drop dead date? And then you let them tell the story of the deadline and you will see opportunities and how they describe the deadline for how you might be able to push it back just a little bit. So you don't attack the deadline, you attack the interest, right? You, you, you explore and encounter the why behind that point. And then you can, might be able to just soften it up a little bit. And the ideal outcome would be the boss is like, no, it's not really, it's kind of arbitrary. We just wanted to get a date on the calendar so we could push forward. And he's like, well, we're going to be really close, but I might, could I have a couple more days? We're so close. And that's a totally better way to approach it than to say this deadline didn't work because now you're threatening their authority. I see. And then method, yes, I see. I completely see that method working a lot better too. And, this and here's the yeah, and here's the interesting outcome too, Romina. Is some some of the people I work with, they know it's coming. When I come in and sit down and say, "Hey, tell me about this," they know that I'm gonna be like, I'm gonna be softening up the the edges, right, and moving. And what's interesting is they don't kick me out of their office. It's, it's like we have this next level of a communication. They understand that I need them to work with me on this and that it's really important. And also, hopefully, I've created that reputation. I'm still going to get it done. Um, it kind of speeds up the negotiation process. I've had people go, okay, so we need to move the deadline <laughs> when I've asked a couple of good questions. And I'm like, man, that would be great if we could. So it, I think it, it enhances our professional relationships when people just know that we're good listeners and negotiators. When we come to them for things, they know we're not making demands. They understand we're really respecting them. And um, it sometimes opens doors for me that I shouldn't probably have opened. I mean, people just, I remember one time I was in Omaha for a gig and everybody there was just grouchy. It was hot. It was sweaty. Everyone on the plane that was delayed and we're all arriving at the car rental place at the same time. And uh, the, the computer system went down and the printers couldn't print. And they're trying to handwrite all these receipts. And everybody around me is just giving the business to these two guys trying to, they're shorthanded trying to run this rental place. And when I get up there to my turn, I'm like, hey, here's the deal. I'm in no hurry. It's Sunday. Take your time. It looks like you're having a horrible day, man. And the guy's like, you have no idea. I'm like, you're right. I don't. And so we're walking out on the line and he's like, I don't even know if I have the right kind of car for you. Because I, I, I try to respect my clients and, and go economy, right? Mm -hmm. And I say, well, here's the deal, man. I can tell what kind of day, just whatever you've got, I'll take. And I was driving from Omaha to Wichita, Kansas one way. So they're not getting this car back at the rental place, which I understand in the business, that's kind of a big deal. You don't want to send your best car to Wichita and have it never come back. But he's like, well, I got, I mean, would you drive a truck? And again, I'm a country guy. I'm like, heck yeah, I'll drive a truck. I was like, tell me, tell me about the trucks you have. And this is where the negotiating comes in. Ask a good question. He's like, well, I got this Dodge and this Ford. He's like, actually, I have this Chevy with a thousand miles on it. It's brand new. I'm like, you know what? If it helps you out, man, I'd love to take that truck. So I'm driving to Wichita in this, you know, brand new Chevy with a thousand miles on it. Why? Because I was different than those other people. And I, I signaled to, to this guy, I'm willing to make a deep connection with you, even in the, in the 10 minutes I know you. And I didn't ask anything of him, but he wanted to give. And that's the reciprocity that comes from listening to people, especially when they're having a bad day, an emotional experience. That is so true, though, because I do work calling center, for example. and that's, Oh, yeah, um, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so whenever, and whenever I try to call in in calling centers, I know what it's like 
because I work inside sales. I know what it's like being on the phone and having a frustrating moment that mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not necessarily to the person that you're talking to. So I always try to be very nice and it's not like, it's not fake. It just, I always ask them like, Hey, how's your shift going? Okay. This is my issue. Are you the right person? Are you not love to help out? Have a nice shift. Always have a genuine conversation. Oh yeah. God, yeah. Romina, that's such a powerful question to, to, uh, that's like the perfect example. I think of, of a, of a, I'll say a, a relationship, you calling in to a customer support line, right? where there is zero expectation you'll make a deep connection with that CSR. Zero. Like you're, you are the client calling to have them fix a problem. But yeah. what, again, and this is where people are like, yeah, so just do it. I'm like, or do what Romina does and ask one question. How's your shift going? And you are now the most unique person to ever call that line for that CSR, right? And do you not think they're going to give you the best service they can? Oh, my God. Oh, they will. So good. Oh, absolutely they will. And I have people sometimes tell me, um, I have clients that do business with the government. And they're like, well, there's no need to use this with them because there's so many rules, you know, that they, they just simply do what the law says. I'm like, oh, contraire, my friend. And I actually was speaking in front of a mixed group of public and private sector people. And yeah, some of the public sector people are like, it doesn't work on us. We give you what the law says we give you. We do exactly what the regulations say. I'm like, that's not true. And they looked at me like, you can't say that. I'm like, look, here's the deal. I've worked in government for 18 years. I know how it works. There's the bare minimum that I can do for you, Right. And then there's the maximum I can do for you. And those are governed by statute and ethics, right? But there's this huge range of things. And they, they didn't believe me until I said, look, here, the regulations on building codes, right? Like if I bring to you plans and you're, you can look at them, you'll say either they're in spec or they're out. Like they meet the code or they don't. They're like exactly right. I'm like, or there's a third thing you could do. And that is they're out of spec. It doesn't meet the code. But you can tell me exactly how to bring them into code and how, what you would approve. And they kind of, they, they looked really sheepish because they're like, that's true. We can, there's nothing that prevents us from helping a private sector vendor uh, comply with the regulations. I'm like, yeah, but who do you take the time to do that when you're not required to? And who, who don't you? And it's 100% about the relationship you build with people. And they, if all of them said, no, that's true. If we, if, if we had a really respectful person we'd done business with lots of times before and they'd always treat us very well and very respectfully, we might offer them some suggestions of how they could become compliant. I'm like, and do you think that's, there, there's no value in that as a private sector vendor? There's huge value in my time. And you're helping me save time and effort. And they're like, okay, so yeah, it does work on us. It's, it, <laughs> you kind of reminded me of something different too, because it's very important to build, a, to build that relationship. But I feel like you would also be stamped on their memory. So tomorrow oh, or a year later, if somebody asks them, like, hey, do you know Dan? You met Dan five years ago, for example, because you I listened to Dan on a podcast three years ago with Romina. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's an indelible mark, right? Because of the conversation that will yeah. remember you. So another technique that I use personally, especially if I'm out um, with my friends or if I'm in a restaurant, I tend to, um, these are like silly little things that will get people talking to. Like if they have tattoos, you say, I like your ink. Why did you get that tattoo? You would be surprised oh, yeah. how much people talk about it. Oh, you're so good, Romina. No, but, tattoos are so personal to people. That's a, that's a powerful story to have them tell. But also, I will have a conversation pretty much everywhere I go. So mm -hmm. if I was to go missing tomorrow, people will remember my name <laughs> in the conversation. Yes. And then, yes. unfortunately, my brain does think like that. Hopefully, I never go missing. But oh, my gosh. You and I should party. You are so crazy <laughs> like me. But people will remember, say, yeah, she had an accent. She was wearing this. I had this conversation with her. And people mm -hmm. are like, this is how you also leave a stem on people's memory and slowly build those relationships, which is not it, easy. I, didn't, I wasn't born no. like this. It sounds like, though, the theme in our conversation today, Romina, is is listening and negotiating and awareness for safety and then but also just for growth and for excellence because yeah no when people when you're memorable that's a safety feature yeah now my very last question before we do jump to the final ones um how about you whenever you're dealing with like a very high intense situation such as in a hostage negotiation moment or negotiating a big contract how do you personally keep your cool and be able to manage the situation? Because that's a lot internally. It, it has to start before that situation begins in earnest. There is an important preparatory phase. Now, for a crisis negotiator, that means I'm honing my skills with my team. 
And that's really critical. It's not, it's not, it's not a solo endeavor. It's a team sport in business world. It means I'm doing my homework about this issue or this, the value in this agreement. I'm doing my homework about my counterparty and what they've done in the past and maybe what they've signaled to myself or others about what they want to accomplish in the future. So I can begin to shape uh, my persuasive appeals in language and in values and in principles that, that, that are theirs. Right. Um, so if I haven't done that, then I'm probably going to be really emotional. If I know that I'm not ready, I'm not prepared for this like ultimate showdown. Um, that's going to be an added complication for my emotional state. And the second thing is, is once it does begin in earnest, right? Um, I, I, one thing I focus on, especially as a crisis negotiator is my, my breathing. And I think you talk to a lot of people in my field, uh, both on the tactical side and on the negotiating side, controlling your breath is so important. Um, the oxygen flow to your brain is so critical. And it's one of the first things that gets disrupted when we get put under stress and become emotional. So having a good cleansing breath and then monitoring your breathing throughout an encounter is so important. Helps you control the pace of the encounter as well. Uh, and that's the other thing is I'm very interested in controlling uh, time and pace, slowing things down, asking good questions, and then adding a couple seconds every time before I speak, it begins to slow the pace down and it shows them how thoughtful I am about this, about this dialogue. And then certainly managing their emotions using active listening skills. That's very interesting that you say you control your breathing because people tend to control the breathing after the emotions have hit. Right. If you can learn, and when you start realizing you're becoming emotional, if you can learn to just take one deep breath first, it is, I'm just, go try it. It's, it's almost like magic in that all of a sudden all these opportunities start popping up in your brain that if you had not started to focus on breath, um, I don't think they will because I've seen the difference in my life before and after using that technique. Um, I recently had an encounter and it was, it was a sharp spike in emotions. It was on a scene. I was on an active negotiation and it came from another police officer and um, they challenged my authority within my, my field of expertise and that's always an emotional experience. And it'd be like me being like, I mean, I don't think you know much about podcasting. You're like, what? You know, you have that spike in emotion. Yeah. Whenever you experience that, listeners out there, try this. Just go first. And it's amazing. Like you had one option before, and that is argue and defend yourself. And now if you have a good breath, you might actually start to interpret the behavior of that other person and really start inquiring about their emotion. Like just in your, in your mind first, like I wonder why they said that to me. I wonder why they're so uh, personal in this attack. And then you can ask a good question about it. And, and if you've breathed before, the question might actually sound like a question and not, again, not like an argument. Hey, um, we seem really invested in this. What, uh, what, what, what's going on? What are your concerns here? I wanna work with you. Instead of don't tell me what to do, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so breath is so important that it opens up opportunities in our intellect because the oxygen starts flowing in again. That is very, thank you for sharing that. That is, I'm going to start using that because I didn't do the whole breath technique, but that's, I'm going to start using that. Try it. You might <laughs> like it. And then if, but here's the thing about listening and negotiating. If you try something and it really works for you, you're way more likely to make that into a habit down the road. Yeah. So that initial success is so important. You know, the last thing that I do um, to try to manage emotions in a negotiation is I, I just rely on the active listening techniques. Um, we label emotions, we summarize, we paraphrase to find themes for a negotiated settlement. And I really uh, try to make it about the other person. I try to talk 25% of the time at, at, at a maximum. I try to let them talk at least 75% of the time. That's going to let them vent their emotion. That's going to let them tell me the story of what's going on. And it's also going to let them help me discover what will help us uh, bring it to a negotiated surrender. And you let them be the spotlight. Yeah. Put them in the spotlight, let them have the stage and do not interrupt. And people will tell you uh, what they would be willing to come out of. In, in my case, a barricade, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what they'll be willing to come out of the barricade for, but they'll also in the business world, they'll tell you what they'll be able to come out of a, an unreasonable or an untenable position for you they'll tell you how they might move and you don't have to push them. You can just, you can let them show you maybe a new agreement. And then I, I think all, all the information that you mentioned today is, are, is great information. And if you guys want to actually read his books to life or death listening, as well as the 28 laws of listening, you will gain so much more information than just this short episode. 
Um, but then do you have any, um, any projects or anything new that you're working towards? Anything exciting you'd like to share with us? Absolutely. So the two books are on Amazon mm -hmm. and they've both been out for just about a year. Um, one is, like you said, Life or Death Listening. That's got the eight active listening techniques. I highly recommend it. And then the 28 Laws of Listening is a 28-day program to build a habit out of listening. And uh, I just launched a new website, masterlistener.com, where I you know, give a lot more information and some exploration of listening and negotiating and leadership in keynotes and workshops and coaching. Um, my new project, I, I'm going to tease it a little bit. I'm not ready to release all the details, but how might we offer people like you, Romina, mm -hmm. people who are, are successful professionals, um, they're really interested in communications, they're really interested in managing emotions, they're really interested in uh, really high stress performance, but they've never had an opportunity to go through a police style, like police intensity hostage negotiation training. How might we give an experience like that where you could really build some, some super pressure tested skills. I would love that actually. Yeah. It's like a challenge that I would definitely love to, cause not even I'm going to learn more about myself, but I get to see, I can try to play the outsider too and see exactly what's going on and analyze. Yeah. So there I'm, I'm working on something that might bridge that gap. I've had a lot of clients say, now, I, I know what you know now, you, you, you know, I, I get that, and I know I'm working on my skills, and they look at me, they're like, but I've never been able to go through a training program like you did, where I could just seal them up, like, you know, get the ultimate test in some really rich scenario-based training, because it's hard to replicate with how busy, busy people are, and how busy companies are with their employees. Um, you know, I go through a 40-hour training, that's the initial, the basic training to do what I do, mm -hmm. um, but it's a really powerful experience. It's a cultural experience that brings you kind of into the fraternity and sorority of being a hostage negotiator because you, you get all the basic knowledge, but most importantly, you do all these really cool scenario-based trainings. And uh, so I'm, I'm working on something that might provide an experience to, to solve that problem. I would love that. Whenever I will keep launched, you informed. Yes, please. I would love that. <laughs> like I get excited just thinking of it because that would be like, Okay, so when I was younger, when I used uh -huh. to see the, like, um, I have this sick obsession with, like, seeing, like, how people solve criminal cases. Or oh, how, yeah. Or how people, like, <laughs> the reverse engineering of it, of how you have the situation, and you have to find the person, and then do analysis of, like, uh -huh. this person did this, and then I'll buy stories. Like, I love the whole intensity of that, because it's, like, a big problem, it's mm -hmm. an unfortunate situation happened like that, but it's a big problem that you are trying to puzzle everything together. And I think this type of program that you're planning on launching, it would be an amazing program. And I would love, love to be a part of it. Okay. I will keep you in the loop. And then uh, I'll leave you with one last thing. It's not anything new for me. It's just something maybe new for your listeners and you. I'm going to challenge everybody listening to this. It's very simple. You might not see the, the, you might not be, think this is high value, but it really is. is I'm going to challenge you whenever you are out, whenever you interact with anybody in a customer service or hospitality role, it could be the front desk clerk at the hotel you're checking in. It could be the uh, guy at the rental place. It could definitely be your waiter or waitress. I'm going to challenge you to get on a first name basis with them and ask them one question like Romina does that is totally off script. It is not how they would anticipate a customer would interact with them. It might be asking about tattoos. It might be saying, hey, you know, I can tell you love your job. Tell me how you became a waitress, right? Ask one powerful question, but also get their first name and use their first name throughout your single serving experience with them. Yeah, your short customer service based relationship and see how deep you can go. And the reason why is this is I've gone out to dinner with other hostage negotiators and we all practice this because it's just a good habit to have. We've actually had waitresses sit down with us and like, talk with us as we eat the meal they served us. And then we've had their, their boss, the manager or the maitre d' come by kind of mad and have them sit down with us. But that's the cool things that can happen when you treat people as they ought to be treated. So that's my challenge is get on a first name basis and ask a powerful question of people that don't expect it. Yeah, you would be surprised. A question like a tattoo or oh my if, gosh, it's so good. if they have different color hair, people oh, do yeah. color hair because they love the color or like, and, and because they're sending, they're sending you a message about them. They're telling a story about themselves 
when they when they do something that's like not normal, right? That's a powerful thing about them that you should ask about. Yeah, people will talk and then you'll get to like know them. Like the guy, for example, with the tattoo, the most recent one, mm -hmm. he had a tattoo on his finger and I was like, what's that tattoo? He's like, it's my ex-wife. Why are we talking about her? And then, <laughs> and then he came back and then he said, I was in the military. And like he told me his life story when he oh, came to give us drinks. So good. And we just built a whole relationship. And I was with my friend and my friend was like, what did you do? Like, how did you make him talk? So I was yeah. telling her little things that I use, at least that work. But that's so true though. You guys should definitely challenge yourself to all my okay. out there. There's the challenge. <laughs> Ramina, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And then my very final question. What okay, is, let's do it. What is your definition of success? Oh, so such a good question. Um, so everyone, I think everyone has a calling in life and it's very particular. It's, it's very much, it's, it's your mission and no one else has that quite that same mission. And I think success is fulfilling that mission. So I think success is you got to find your, your particular calling in life. Now, and I come from a Roman Catholic perspective, so there's definitely some religious uh, undertones to how I uh, answer your question, right? Mm -hmm. But again, you don't need to love and believe everything that the Roman Catholic Church uh, teaches to also see that you have this special calling in your life. And we can have an awesome drink uh, over drinks discussion about where that mission comes from. But I think everybody begins to realize as they become adults is like, I have this mission, this calling, I want to find it. I don't know exactly what it is yet. And it's always evolving. Um, but success is fulfilling that mission. So for me, like I have a wife and five children and an important part of my particular calling in life is to protect and support them and let them flourish. And I think, by the way, um, you haven't truly found that particular mission until you know who are the people that I serve and that I sacrifice for. I just think that's a really important part of being a human being and that when we don't do that, we suffer. Like we're called to make sacrifices for people we love. So uh, hopefully as you discover this, this calling in life, you'll know that that's a, a part of it. So success is fulfilling that faithfully. Um, and by the way, I think happiness is directly tied to success. And it's not that we try to succeed just so we'll be happy. But if you're not happy as you're succeeding, then probably you're not there yet. Like you should keep looking. I think there's great joy and peace in being successful when it's done the right way, when it's fulfilling that really special mission that you have. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's a different perspective of success that haven't been touched before. Thank you for sharing that. Well, maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe that was my <laughs> particular mission just for today. Awesome. Well, if you guys want to listen to awesome interviews just like this one, make sure to tune in every Tuesday on rmpodcastfl.com. And then thank you so, so much again for being a part of our podcast. Romina, it was my pleasure. Be thank blessed. You.